What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to chat with Andrew Raycroft in just a little bit. We'll get into this great start for the Bees. Razor, of course, always good. We love having him on. So we'll get into the Bruins and the wagon that they are in just a little bit. Jamie and I, as we do each and every week, even though even though there's no Patriots game, we'll give you our picks for the week. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. But where we have to start is we're recording late on Wednesday night after the Celtics beat the 76ers. Just an awesome game. From the Celtics. What a performance. I mean, holy crap, this game is in Philadelphia. You have no Jalen Brown. You have no Kristaps Porzingis. And they win in Philly. Unbelievable win. Drew was tremendous in this game. Al Horford, the fountain of youth. We needed to see it. And then you think about Tatum looked like an MVP candidate as he's been at least in the conversation recently over the past few years. And Derek White was awesome in this game, right? So I just want to start with some of the huge plays down the stretch of this game. Winning plays from this team. Okay, so they get Cornette out of the game after Maxi was just going after him. They were trying to get Cornette switched on Maxi. Now, to Cornette's credit, he did have two putbacks during that stretch. So he was getting burned on one end, but he was getting offensive rebounds on the other end. But that at that point, when you get Cornette out of the game, it's 99-98. Okay, Embiid also comes back into the game at that particular point in time. So you have basically Derek White come over and then Jason Tatum, who is on Embiid, sort of strips Embiid, but it's White's pressure that forces Embiid to turn the basketball over. And then they go the other way. Great find by White to Tatum in transition and one makes it 102 to 98. Great play by White. Great play by Tatum and great finish by Tatum at the rim as well. Okay, after that, Al blocks Maxi, where this is a great play by Al Horford. Essentially, what they're doing down the stretch of this game is they're trying to target Sam Hauser. So Maxi brings up Sam Hauser in the action. He gets the switch. 
Then Al comes over on the help and just blocks Maxi. I mean, this is one of the fastest players in the NBA. Al comes over. He blocks Maxi. At the time, it's still 102.98. And then he finds White down the other end to make it 105.98. White cans a three. So just a huge play by Al Horford. We're talking about Tyrese Maxi. And great awareness by the Celtics defensively. They realized right away, okay, think about who's on the court. We have Al Horford. We have Jason Tatum, and Al was playing tremendous in this game. You have Jason Tatum, you have Drew Holiday, you have Derek White. So they're going to go at Sam Hauser. The reason they're doing that is because there's not a good answer, right? You can't go at Drew. You're not going at Derek White. You're not going at Jason Tatum. So they say, hey, let's go after Hauser. That's how they were trying to manufacture offense down the stretch because they couldn't score just in their own offense because that group together, Hauser's not a great defender, but he holds up teams like this is what they have to do because... All the other guys are really good defenders. So it takes teams sort of out of how they ordinarily play. And so what happens here is the Celtics are ready for it. They know this is what Philly is going to do down the stretch. Great play by Al Horford to come over and get that block. Okay. Then Covington cuts it to 105-100. White misses a three when it's 105-100. And then Drew Holiday just comes out of nowhere between two 76ers and basically gets the ball to bounce off of Philadelphia 76er as they're both or three guys are going up for a rebound. And it's Drew Holiday's activity level that forces that ball to go out of bounds off a of Philadelphia 76er. Eventually, what happens on that possession is Tatum gets the smaller defender on a Melton and he hits two free throws to make it 107-100. But that's all activity, a winning play by Drew Holiday down the stretch of that game. Okay, so then Embiid cuts it to 107-102. Tatum drives. Finds a wide open Al Horford, right play by Tatum, reads the rim, sees Embiid, Horford's all by himself, kicks it out to Al, Al cans it, makes it 110-102, Al's getting into it with the crowd, Philadelphia hates him because he signed the big contract there, it didn't work out, but just huge shot by Al, great find by Jason Tatum. Okay, Maxi then gets the and one, he makes it 110-105. Holiday then misses a three. So under two minutes left in the game, it's only 110-105. Like the Celtics are not safe yet. They get it to Robert Covington in the dunker spot. Al blocks him again. Al blocks Covington this time when it's 110-105. I mean, that would have been a huge bucket in the game. Al makes another critical play. And then on the other end, Derek White finds Jason Tatum for a three, makes it 113-105. That is all started by Al Horford. Then a great play, another nice rim read, if you will, by Derek White, finds Tatum. Tatum knocks it down. And then, maybe my favorite play of the game. 113-105. Celtics have this game in control. Holy shit. Drew Holiday blocked Tyrese Maxey on a three. Just an unreal play. Now, in real time, I gotta be honest. I'm like, oh my God, Drew, what are you doing? You're following him on a three. Just let it go. Just let it go. It's probably gonna miss at that point in time. Like, it's a decent contest, but don't follow him. And then Joe Mazzulla challenges you. You're like, oh, he got the ball first. How did he do that? He's a guard. How did Maxi, like I said, Maxi had been this outstanding season. Drew Holiday blocks him on a three. You don't see guards blocking guys on threes. Drew Holiday does it. That was my favorite play of the game. I just thought that was awesome. That was unbelievable. So just think about all those big plays down the stretch of the game. Just unbelievable. You can point to those four guys. Those four guys, Tatum was great. As we mentioned, Drew, White, Al Horford, they all made huge plays down the stretch of the game when you didn't have Porzingis and you didn't have Jalen Brown, your second and third leading scorers, right? So I thought each guy 
of this group of four, if you will, had a quarter. Besides Tatum, I thought Tatum, now he had some not great turnovers in this game, obviously. I, I don't know. I said not great turnovers. There's not really a such thing as a great turnover, but you get my point. He had some turnovers, but throughout the game, Tatum had his stamp all over this one. But of the other three guys, Drew, Derek White, and Al, I thought each one of those guys had a quarter. So I would say Drew was in the first quarter. By the way, he finishes as a plus 16, 18 points, 10 rebounds. We had the off the pike parlay. We had him for four. He just needed to get four. Now Tatum did his job. He had the 25 point or the 29 points. We had him at 25. And then Jalen was out, so he got voided. Now, unfortunately, well, I guess, I don't know. Like, I can't be too mad about this because we had the Celtics on the money line that hit. The only thing that didn't hit was Joel Embiid going for 25 points, which I'm kind of happy about. But anyway, so Juris, 18 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, and of course, the huge block. But you could tell right away he was going to be more aggressive offensively in this game. So it's a 3 nothing game early on. He stones Harris at the basket. Harris can't go through him. Then he backs in Maxie on the other side of the court, makes it a 4-3 to game. He goes by Harris, finishes through him, 10-10. Like, Tobias Harris is a small forward slash power forward. He's 6'8". This dude is a big guy, and Drew Holiday just finishes through him. Then he slipped a screen, just heads up play, made it 18-16, to got a layup there. He had a steal in the zone and then a layup on the other end to make it 30 to 18. That was a nice wrinkle by Joe to put the zone on. So in that first quarter, he has 10 points. He's 5 of 8. He's a plus 10. Later on in the game, he canned a wide open three at the top of the key to make it 57-55. He drove past Covington. Never rushes, right? Like this, he made it 80 to 73, but he never rushes. He gets past Covington. He just sort of keeps him on his back and he finishes he had a wide open corner three to make it 83-75. We got to the big plays late, but man, I just love watching this guy play. And I just can't believe that he's on this team. I really can't. Like, I can't believe we're watching him and Derek White on the same team tonight. Like, those guys are both unbelievable players. And I can't believe that Milwaukee traded Damian Lillard or traded for Damian Lillard. And the result of that trade is Milwaukee has not been great and all that to start the season. We acknowledge all that. But... Because they picked up Damian Lillard, the Celtics got Drew Holiday. Like the Damian Lillard trade, in all likelihood, is going to work out better for the Celtics than it did the Milwaukee Bucks. Think about that. The effects of trading for Damian Lillard meant you had to give Drew Holiday away. And now Drew Holiday's on the Celtics. This is like the gift we never thought we were going to get. You have two guys in the backcourt that are elite defenders. And when you need their offense... Drew gave it to you in the first, and we'll get into Derek White in a second here, but I really cannot believe it. I can't believe we get to watch this guy play with Derek White on a nightly basis. Anyway, maybe we're getting a little bit too excited here, but so I thought he was awesome in this game. Now, the Celtics as a team had that bad second quarter, just an 83.3 offensive rating, and I give Nick Nurse and that staff credit. They went to his own a little bit. It kind of flummoxed the Celtics, but in the third, the Celtics come back. They take control of the game. Al was awesome in the third. He hit the three threes. And just early on in this game, he hit a mid-ranger over Embiid. And then Embiid was trying to get through him at the rim. He stood him up 25-18. He stood him up. Embiid couldn't get through him and, and score. And Embiid was complaining about a foul. What else is new? 58-57. to 57, He missed a wide open three to begin the half. But then he got hot, right? Where it's like, and Joe Mazzulla said after the game, he told him like, Al said, hey, should I have like cut on one of those places? No, he should have shot it sooner. Wide open wing three makes it 67-67. Top of the key three from Tatum, nails that one to make it 70 to 69. 
And then he finds Hauser in the corner. Hauser hits a three to make it 75-71. He finds him on the short roll. Just a nice pass by Al Horford. Al's always been a great passer. And then he had a steal on Embiid, uh, steal on Embiid, and then they went the other way. Pritchard, unfortunately, missed a three, but a great steal by Al. So he finishes with 14. He's a plus 14. We went through some of the big plays late in this game where <laughs> some of the blocks, the Covington block, the Maxi block, as we alluded to, he was awesome. He had five blocks in this game. Five of them. Five blocks from Al Horford. And we needed to see it, right? We were waiting for this type of performance from Al because Al... We talk about certain guys making adjustments. Al's making a huge adjustment going to the bench. He's never been a guy that comes off the bench. We haven't seen like a big Al performance. I'm not telling you that he's sucked this year, but at times it looked like, did he lose a little bit? And tonight we saw the juice. And for whatever reason, maybe part of it is playing against Philadelphia. He always plays Embiid incredibly well. He was awesome in this game tonight. And it's just a sign that, hey, when he needs to do it, he can turn it up. We saw that tonight. So that was fun. And I love the fact that he was getting into it with the crowd. Love to see that from Al Horford. Like, I really want this guy to win a championship. He's done everything you can in an NBA career, right? He's been an all-NBA guy. He's been an all-star. He's won two national championships at the collegiate level. Like, this would be the perfect send-off for Al Horford. And the other thing we found out tonight, and we kind of knew this, but you need him. And he was ready to go in this particular game against Joel Embiid. I thought that that was an unbelievable performance. And then Embiid in this game... He had the 20 points. He had a minus 25. That was tied for the fourth worst of his career. He has all like these horrible games against the Celtics. I know he's had great games against the Celtics, but it's not a coincidence that he has really bad games against the Celtics. And the big thing to me, now it's a group effort, but here is where the Celtics have been really good this season in general, but in particular in this game tonight, four free throws for Embiid. This is where he does a lot of his damage. Like Embiid's, Shooting at the rim this year is way down. He's at about 61%. He has been not finishing at the rim well at all. He's been really good in the mid-range, and he needs to get to the free throw line. So those four free throws are significant. The fact that, And I know he's dealing with some sort of hip soreness or something along those lines. He was out there. He took 17 free throws in the game against Indiana the other night. Or last night, I show, as we're recording, we're recording on Wednesday. So Tuesday night, he took... 17 free throws. On the season entering tonight, 114 leads the NBA. That would be prior to tonight, 11.4 per game. He took four tonight. Four, okay? That's the defensive effort of these guys. So, And Al deserves a large portion of the credit for that. He was outstanding in this game tonight. So knowing, hey, you need Al. Now, it's different when you get into a playoff series and you got to do it for seven games. But Al did a good job on him last year in the playoffs. And I thought tonight... I think Al needed this game. Like I said, that we needed to see it. I think Al needed to have this game where it's like, yeah, he's a member of this great team. And they always say like the starting six instead of the starting five. Everybody knows this is the starting five. Al having this game, I think it was important. I really think it was important for his confidence level going forward. Not that he like didn't believe in himself, but you need these games every once in a while, once in a while, right? Okay. Then Derek White, 14 big ones in the fourth quarter. He finishes with 27 points. The slump is over, baby. Theory on that real quickly. He's probably getting some sleep, right? He has a young kid, and then he has a newborn. So these shooting slumps that, you know, he's struggling on the at home a little bit. Maybe he's getting some sleep, you know, on the road. Everybody else is like on the road, like, okay, uh, we get this trip to Philly. Then we're going to Toronto. Derek White's probably like, I love my kids. I want to see my kids, but you know what? I'm actually going to get some sleep, which I think... Let's let's watch. Let's monitor the road splits for the road home splits for the next couple weeks. I kid, but seriously, he's probably getting more sleep. Anyway, he took ten free throws in this game, which is awesome. Hit nine of those. 
He also had five assists and just running through some of it. This is what I love about Derek White. He's in a shooting slump. Cans an open three right away. Makes it 33-22. He drove by Max. He gets to the free throw line. 47-32 made both of those. And this is the big thing. Is they, and I know I reference this, but they just went at Maxi. Maxi's a great offensive player. He's not a good defensive player. Go at him. And that's what the Celtics did in this game. Candon open three. His floater game is back. Had a nice floater to make it 54-53. He drove, found Al for a wide open three. One of the threes that Al hit in that third quarter. He had a hard push in transition. Gets to the free throw line. Unfortunately, missed one of those. He hit nine to 10. But then you think about the fourth quarter. And this is where I said, Al was the third quarter, Drew Holiday was the first quarter, nobody was in the second quarter because the Celtics got outscored 37 to 20. In the fourth quarter, he's the only starter on the court to begin that fourth quarter, okay? And (laughs) you start to think about it, Makai Luke, who by the way, Makai Luke had some absolutely atrocious fouls in that fourth quarter. They're lucky like they didn't get in trouble with the bonus because Makai Luke, I don't know what the fuck he was doing half the time he was out there. But it was White, Banton, Makai Luke, Cornette, and Pritchard. That just shows you sort of the confidence that they have in Derek White, where it's like, okay, Derek, you got this for now. Drew's going to get his rest. Al's going to get some rest because Embiid's getting rest right now. So we're going to put Al on the bench as well. And this is when Tatum needs to get his rest. So, hey, just stabilize us to begin the fourth quarter. And he did. I mean, he was awesome. Drove by Springer, got to the line, made it 85-87, hit both of those. Floater, his floater game, as I mentioned, made it 87-89. He had a beautiful drive and fed Cornette to make it 89-82. Top of the key three, made it 92-88. Another floater made it 94-88. And then he finds Cornette on a roll. Great pass, made it 95-90. Cornette hit one of two. But those were critical plays that Derek White made in this game. So he had everything going. He had the floater game going. He had the ability to make plays for other people. The kickouts for threes to Tatum to Al. The lobs to a guy like Cornette. I mean, the playmaking was outstanding from Derek White. He himself provided the offense with the 27 points. So this is what he's capable of. This is what Derek White is capable of, having games like this. And we saw it on display tonight. So that was awesome to see Derek White have this type of performance. He can do everything. And playing with Drew, I mean, it's just amazing to see. But by the way, the Mikhailuk stuff, I know I said a couple of weeks ago, like, hey, maybe, maybe try him out a little bit. Like, dude, if you're going to be playing, you can't make stupid fouls. I mean, the foul he made on Reed, what's the upside on that? The guy's taking a fadeaway. He's a center. Let him shoot that, man. Just give that up. Surrender that shot. Okay, and then Tatum, he was pretty much good all night. 29 points, 8 boards, 6 assists. Biggest thing to me about Tatum in this game, 23 shots. This is something we mentioned last week is he only took... What, the third most shots on the Celtics in that game last week against Philadelphia, and he was fifth in the game in shots. Tonight, he takes 23. That's what you want from your star player. He was awesome. Right away, too, gets to the line in semi-transition. In and out around Embiid, and Embiid has the goal 10. In and out again into a three to make it 14 to 13. That's another thing you notice about Tatum now, is when he gets that high screen, he's doing the little in and out with his left hand into a shot. It's, It's really an outstanding set of skills that Tatum has right now. That's what I, I noticed too. He's like such a tough shot maker now. Like he always had the footwork and the ability to get these shots off. Now he's hitting them. Like every time he takes that little fadeaway, had a couple over Harris. One of them made it 41-27. Had a couple of those shots where it's just like that now I feel like it's going in every time. When he used to take it in the past, they used to think, oh no, don't do that. Like what are you doing? Like I, I don't understand why you take that shot. Like you can go by your defender. But now it's like 
<laughs> it's unbelievable to me because I feel like every time he takes like he basically he'll back a guy in, he creates space. And it feels like every time he takes that shot, it's going in. When in the past, we never felt that way. And I think now what we're seeing is a player in Jason Tatum that has now basically reached his almost the apex. Like he's at the perfect age. His body is now like fully developed to the point we talked about the 12 pounds he put on in the offseason. He's always had the skills. He's always had the ability to make tough shots. Now he's doing it. It's sort of like everything is coming together. And this is sort of, when it ordinarily happens for a star player in the NBA. And the other thing I would say is, in the past, Tatum has not been a great isolation player. We saw it tonight. I mean, he was just abusing guys, especially whether it be if he got Melton in a switch, anytime he got Maxi in a switch, and then even Harris. He was going by Harris. When he got him beat in a switch, he would go by him. I know he had a couple turnovers, but overall, I mean, nobody's got a chance on this guy right now. I know Edwards had the steal late in that game against Minnesota, but it's not many people can slow him down right now. And you start to look about at some of those numbers, the isolation numbers. So entering tonight, points per game in isolation, Luka 8.6, Tatum 7.1. Tatum entering tonight, 55 possessions in isolation, 71 points, 1.29 points per possession. That's in the 93rd percentile. And it's believable, right? Like, it's not just like, oh, let's see if those numbers hold up. No, it's he punishes smaller defenders, and he has... That pull-up three-point game going on right now, which is something he didn't have last year where he was shooting south of 30%. And he also has the ability in the mid-range to shoot over you. And he also, when he needs to, he can get to the free-throw line. So he has now become, after struggling as an isolation player, one of the best ISO players in the entire NBA. So he's just so polished right now. And as I said, I give the team a lot of credit in general. Like the three guys that start in each quarter, Tatum was great throughout the night, right? So that was awesome to see. And then... The other thing I would mention is I know Hauser is only two of eight. This is what I'll tell you. The eight is more important. The fact that he took eight of those, that's the more important thing because he has been red hot as of late. You want Hauser getting up these shots. He is a spacer for you. You want him bombing, right? And entering tonight, you look at catch and shoot makes on the season, okay? Laurie Marketing number one with 40. 366 minutes he's played. This is entering play on Wednesday. Dorian Finney-Smith, 32 catch and three makes, 334 minutes. Curry, 32, 357 minutes. Hawkins, who's playing really well for New Orleans, the kid who won the national championship at UConn, 28 catch and make threes, 323 minutes. Max Struess, 28 catch and shoot made threes, 349 minutes. Grayson Allen, 25, 314 minutes. Hauser, 25, 195 minutes. Hardaway, 24, 307 minutes. So all these guys that are leading the NBA in catch-and-shoot makes from three-point territory, they're all over 300. And then there's Sam Hauser, <laughs> 195 entering tonight. That's what you want. The last five games prior to tonight, 19 made threes. That was tied for fourth during that five-game stretch. He was 19 of 36. He was getting up during that stretch 12 threes per 36 minutes. If you look at players averaging 12 three-point attempts per 36 this season— Steph Curry and Buddy Heald. This is what you want. And I think the big thing with him is the confidence because he's not going to lose playing time this year. So <laughs> just keep bombing, man. When you look at Hauser, look at the attempts. Okay, now if he goes through a major slump, okay, we need to have a conversation. But I'm not going to be upset about a two for eight night when he's been hitting threes like crazy over the past five games. The attempts are the important thing is he's getting those catch and shoot opportunities because with these driving lanes, we talk about the spacing that Porzingis provides 
you're going to have open shots. Hauser is going to get open opportunities. So I just love the fact that he got eight up. I got to give Missoula credit too. The zone we mentioned in that the end of the first quarter, it threw them off. He went at the refs at halftime, which I thought was hilarious. I don't, I don't know what he was so fired up about, but he went after the refs. He's mad about fouls, I assume. And he stole minutes early, right? He First of all, the starting lineup, Hauser, Al, Drew, Tatum, and White, they had played zero minutes together before tonight. Not that that was a surprise that that was going to be the lineup. But he brought in Banton early with Pritchard. And then the under three, we mentioned it's Drew, Pritchard, Makai Luke, Cornette, Banton, and they're in a zone. <laughs> and it kind of worked out. Like, it was just, hey, they're not expecting this. They threw a wrinkle, and Joe, like, stole two minutes there. <laughs> Where the Celtics, like, Drew had a steal, as we mentioned during that time. I'll tell you what, this Banton guy, though, what a roller coaster. He comes in at the under six timeout with Pritchett, as we alluded to. He gets a put back right away. You're like, oh, nice hustle play. Made it 20 to 16. Then he airballed a three. Like, that thing was nowhere close. And then he smoked a layup. He wants a foul. It was not a foul. And then he picked Embiid like he, Embiid's dribbling the ball up the court. And he just sprints back, taps it away from him. And then he ends up, Drew ends up getting the ball to make it 25-18. So that guy was a complete roller coaster. But give Joe credit for coming up with that idea. Hey, we can't play these guys all like 48 minutes. We got to figure out a way to get some production from some of these guys that wouldn't ordinarily play. And they got away with it. The only guy I thought, I thought he got Cornette out at the right time, like, they, it, it, maybe he waited one possession too long, but he knew, like, okay, we got to get him out, and the other guy, Makai Luke, they got him out, like, I, I actually tweeted at the time, like, get this guy off the court, like, he's, he's falling all over the place, the last thing you want to do is get Philadelphia in the bonus early, because we know Embiid lives at the free throw line, Max, he can get to the line, so you got to get this guy off the court, because two bad fouls in a row, so I thought Joe coached a really good game, and big stuff from the defense in general on Maxi, like that was the big thing tonight. The defense was awesome. I referenced some of the offensive plays. I referenced all the blocks and the steals and all that. But Maxi was six of 15, six of 15. Drew and Derek White did an outstanding job on him in this game. I thought Maxi did his thing late in that game last week, last Wednesday. But this game, those guys were outstanding. And the thing that I wonder if this is part of it is they made him work on defense, right? Because I felt like they didn't really attack him last week on defense. They did in this game. Tatum constantly was calling him out in the action. We saw Drew Holiday taking him down in the post. We saw Derek White going by him. So when you have a great offensive player that is limited on the defensive side, not a great defensive player, you got to go at him. So I do wonder if that sort of wore Maxi down, especially considering the fact that Embiid played 38 minutes on Tuesday and Maxi played 38 minutes, Harris played 37 minutes, and you wore those guys down. Credit to the Celtics for that. Credit to Joe. I thought he coached a good game. Hopefully this knee contusion is not something that lingers for Porzingis. It didn't sound like there was anything serious. So you expect him to play on Friday. And Jalen, it's just an illness. I will say this, like Jalen's had this great stretch recently. The ball does move a little bit quicker, and everything's more deliberate when Jalen's off the court, right? Like it's, okay... Am I calling up the screen or am I not calling up the screen? Or am I swinging the ball? Am I moving the ball? Like everything seems to be a little bit quicker when Jalen's not here. But overall, great performance from the Celtics. That was fun. That was an awesome win. Big win. Statement win. Now they go to Toronto for the in-season tournament continues in Toronto. So hopefully we get an entertaining game on Friday. But it's a massive win. Obviously a huge win for the Celtics. All right. A lot more to get into. Coming up next, Andrew Raycroft, Razor from Nessim will join us. We'll get into the Bruins and their unbelievable start to the season. 
Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. All right, and I'm big on the Lions this week, so I like Detroit as the highest scoring team at plus 700. You can find that under the weekly specials. Miami has the shortest odds, but Detroit is playing that Chicago team. The Lions are at home. They're always good in that dome, and they get everybody healthy now. So I like Detroit plus 700 as the highest scoring team. I also like them to cover the 8.5 against the Bears. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, it is Andrew Raycroft. Of course, you see him, the studio analyst at Nesson, also hosts the Morning Brew. Razor, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, getting ready for holiday season. I, I, it's crazy. We are this close to Thanksgiving and, and then, of course, Christmas. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy to think about this Bruins team, too, that is now through 15 games, 12-1-2, through 15 games last year. They were 13-2. and So for me, like, I, obviously, I didn't expect them to set the record in points last year and wins, and I didn't expect this start again this year. So before we get into specifics, there are a lot of reasons that the Bruins have been this good, but is there one thing to, that sticks out to you more than the others? Is it the goaltending? Like, what has been sort of the secret sauce for this team? Because so many things have ha- had to gone right, go, go right. Like, the young guys, like, contributing to this team. Van Riemsdyk being really good after you lost Bertuzzi, right? So, and the goaltending, like, Swayman playing like a Vesna Trophy candidate right now. A lot of things have had to go right, but is there one thing in particular to you that sticks out? Well, it's the goaltending. For sure. Uh, when you get those performance, like Buffalo last night, three, 31 on 33, didn't really think twice about it. We didn't really talk about it on the broadcast. He's first star in the building. Um, and of course, he used to play there. So maybe there's a little stick it to him on that one. But it's, it's ho-hum every night, the effort you get from these guys. And you look around the league and there's guys having bad nights and bad periods that cost teams wins. And so it has to start with goaltending. Like you said, there's a bunch of other reasons as well, whether it's the young guys, the the addition of Van Riemsdyk, the 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 way the, that these guys just play defense. The the biggest, but I guess so the overall, I, I say goaltending, but the overall is I was like so many other people in diminishing how important team defense structure goaltending is in the league. We, we go to scoring right away. Oh, the Leafs are going to score so many goals. They're going to win the division just because they score so much. And, um, you know, Tam, but it all comes back, actually. It's still Buffalo is going to be great because they can score goals. Their power play, Tage Thompson, that's a joke. So it, it really is coming down to goaltending and structure. And those are the best teams year after year. And I won't forget when I when I go through the teams next summer. Yeah. And like a team like Edmonton. Right. And they've had more issues than that this year, but they just fired yeah. their coach. But that's another team that scored like crazy last year, made a deep run. And they've been in real trouble to start this season. You mentioned Allmark, though. How about that play that he had last night to basically start everything for that Carlo goal? I mean, that was unbelievable, man. You ever have a play like that? 
It was that was old school. There was a lot of times back in the day when plays seemed to happen. Nowadays, that it's the game's so fast that doesn't really happen, and the goalies are never decisive enough to get out there and do that. But he was. I don't know what he saw. I'm curious to ask him why that was the right decision because. Again, these guys are so fast, and it was pretty far out from the net that yeah. uh, whatever he saw that he knew he could get there was impressive. Uh, and, and again, it's all about being decisive at that point. Once you're in, you're all in, and, and he committed to it. Could have looked like a fool, but ended up, of course, going the other way. And Carlo made a great play, not just panicking and throwing it away, too. He, he actually deked a guy and then was able to make that pass up to Zaka. So kind of an old-school play that, that's fun to watch. A little chaos Right. There's not as much chaos in hockey anymore. Everybody's in the right spot. They're all really fast. They're all good sticks. There's not the same chaos there used to be. So when we get some of it, it's fun. All right. So Swayman, he is at 169 goals against first, save percentages first, 47 high danger shots. He's only given up four goals. The save percentage is second in the NHL to Thatcher Demko. He's getting about three and a half million this year. They settled in arbitration, restricted free agent after the season. So this is certainly one way that you respond to wanting a new contract, right? And I heard you say, I think it was during one of the intermissions during the Islanders game or prior to the Islanders game where you feel like he's in more control this year. Like sometimes his athleticism in the past could hurt him. So to you, what has been like the biggest difference as somebody that played the position? What's different between Sway? I'm sure he's more motivated, not that he wasn't trying as hard last year, but I'm sure he's motivated for a new contract. But what have you seen sort of the difference with Swayman from last year, where he was still really good? He was an elite goaltender, but this year it's like now he's legitimately, as I mentioned, in the Vesna trophy race. Yeah, well, if you like, if you compare to last year, it, it's probably pretty similar. I think last year he got overlooked because Allmark was so crazy all season long. I think the injury at the start of the year last year for Swayman just put him in that position that Allmark was just so good and he got those five or six extra games in a row that it was always Allmark's the best, Allmark's the best. But you look at the second half, especially for Swayman, and, and he was winning nonstop at the end too. And it actually made things difficult come playoff time because Swayman was playing so good. They couldn't get out of the rotation at the end of the regular season if they wanted to because Swayman was posting shutouts and you had to keep him going. So that that's something to think about here as as we get going through into March and February how it looks. But uh, he is better. He's motivated, like you said. I don't think arbitration was enjoyable for him. Uh, and his game, his athlete, he's just settled in. You, you settle into the league. You feel like you really uh, start knowing the answers a little bit more. And and his athleticism isn't going anywhere. And you see him mid play that athleticism's on point, but he gets his feet set and he's not getting outside of his net. And he's being able to make that one extra save or his rebound controls just that half a rebound a game better than it was last year. And that's, that's developed into, uh, you know, that, that save percentage where it's at. So again, it's such thin margins in the national hockey league. And when a goalie just starts playing better or so elite the way he is, it's, it's as simple as making one rebound or one less rebound a week. Uh, that That's where the margin that we're playing with now with these guys. All right. So I also heard you mention that you're sick and tired of trading one of the goaltender talk already starting. Why do you think that is already starting? Do you think it's because like, OK, they don't have a the pick is top 10 protected this year. Do you think it's just because they've given up so much in the past in terms of 
draft assets that people are just looking at, hey, something that you could move is a guy like Omar. Because to me, it doesn't really make sense because this is part of the reason, especially this year more so than last year, that you've been the best team in the regular season the past two seasons, right? It's because you have two guys. And I think that sometimes people underestimate like, well, what if Swayman misses two weeks or misses three weeks, right? Like then you need Olmark to play every night. What if the if the opposite happens, right? If Olmark misses two weeks, then, and basically to me right now, it looks like the reverse of last year, right? Swayman's the elite guy. Olmark's the really good guy. When Swayman was the really good guy last year and Olmark was the elite guy. So I don't know. Do you think it's just more just of like a topic you can bring up on sports radio that may be more interesting? Like, why do you think this is a conversation? Yeah, I think I think you you touched on a few of the points. I think, well, of course, talk radio. There's nothing else to talk about with this team because they're so good. And and like we kind of have it on Nesson too, where or the Morning Brew. It's like what else? You know, like they're they're just really good and they're really good at everything. So what do you really you're nitpicking at times? So that's easy for talk radio to jump on the goalie thing. The fact that I'm still not a rotation guy in the playoffs. So. If you're not a rotation guy in the playoffs, if you look at it from last season's point of view, and if you want to blame not doing the rotation on them losing in the first round, then you need to trade a goalie because how do you have both of these guys? So you can, you know, you 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 have that crew that that's willing to talk that way. And then I think the other thing is is people still want more firepower up front. For whatever reason, they want more stars. And 12 one and one, 12 one and two isn't good enough. Good solid <laughs> 200 foot players aren't good enough. They need they need more offense. They need more flair. They need another 50 goal score. So those are the reasons. And the reasons why it doesn't make any sense is one, you're not getting a 50 goal score back for a goaltender. No one's trading those players. And especially ones that are dollar for dollar because the cal- salary cap's such a mess for everybody. There's there's a reason why no one's making trades. There hasn't been a trade since the draft of any significance, and it's not because GMs don't want to. It's because there's not. It's not possible. So that throws that out of the picture. You're not getting a top three, top line center for Linus Allmark or Jeremy Swayman. It's not going to happen. The value that you hold these guys isn't the same the rest of the league holds. The rotation thing, yeah, playoff time, it can be a little clunky. And and again, like I said, I'm not a real rotation guy. But between now and then, you need the rotation. Because like you just pointed out, one of these guys go down and you don't have anyone else, you can lose five in a row and you can be out of the playoffs. Uh, you, the rotation works. It keeps both of them fresh. It makes both of them compete. It pushes both of them. Between now and the, the middle of March, it works. And it's really vital to this team. And so those those reasons, there's an answer to those reasons. And, and there's a reason why you're not getting rid of them. Yeah. And to your rotation point, maybe if they went to Swayman a little bit quicker in that Florida series, they would have won if they didn't wait until game seven. But I don't want to talk about that. That's it. That's in the past. And that was unfortunate because it did feel like after that run, seeing the run that Florida made, Bruins were probably going to go to the cup final if they won that series based on <laughs> what florida was able to do and they were up 3-1 so unfortunately yeah, like you know win game five win game five at home in overtime power play in the last three minutes of the game marsh on breakaway overtime chances win game five and then you can maybe swim and plays in the second round in games like yeah you, you, the rotation works and you're going to need two guys to win a cup, but you got to get through the first round too. So it's 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 back and forth. And you you everyone uses like Vegas three goalies, Colorado three goalies. Well, yeah, but you got to get out of the first round too. So yeah, um, it, it's 
it, 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 it's hard to predict, but you need two goaltenders. That's that's what I know. All right. So you mentioned 50 goal scorers. Well, Pasta entering Wednesday or entering play tonight, I should say Wednesday. He is second in points after the three point night against the Sabres. Had the bomb we mentioned earlier on the feed from Zaka. His 11 goals are tied for fifth. Could be 12, but he hooked up Charlie Coyle for the hat trick the other night, which I thought that was really cool. What it was his first hat trick. He had 400 points and his 150th goal all in the same night. So that was awesome. I enjoyed Pasta doing that. But he's been really great this year after what we saw from last year. And right now he's on pace. I was doing the math on this for well over 100 hits, like 110, and he was at 91 last year. He's actually plus 1,000 on FanDuel to win the Hart Trophy. McDavid is still the favorite of plus 250, but that plus 1,000, they may, that, this may be some good value for the rare. McDavid's not going to win the Hart Trophy this year if things continue to go south for Edmonton. But he was great last year, had his best season. Is there anything this year that has impressed you more than last season? Because it just seems like he picked up where he left off. He did. It's the physicality, I think. It's his, his consistency, his... Um, not into it ism, but he's 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 a leader, and uh, there's times where he could defer, whether it was Krejci or Patrice over the last few years, and defer to those guys. Where now he's the guy, and and Brad's there, of course, and Zach and Coyle and Marsh, but but he knows now he's the guy who has to score. He's the one if he hits, he can really make a difference because it's not expected. It'll get momentum for the rest of his teammates. And he's really awesome. Right? And he's just fan, yeah. like really, really good too, right? And and the older he gets, yeah, he's just entering his prime right now, where he really is figuring out the game and where he can go and when he can shoot and what he can get away with. And and the guys, right? The question mark: Who's going to get him the puck? Who's going to? Well, Zaka can get him the puck. You saw that on that pass last night, that play that they made. He he's gonna he's still going to get the puck a lot, and I think he's got that chip on his shoulder where he's gonna. Prove it to David Krejci that he can do this without him. He can do it, prove to the rest of the league that that he can be this kind of a player, an impact player. And uh, he has done that, certainly. He is absolutely the catalyst of this team. And again, the Bruins would never trade him for a goalie. Just think of that. Like, if you yeah, want to right. do it, you're not, you're not getting <laughs> David Pasternak for Linus Allmark. That's never happening if Linus was in Edmonton. So let's not go there with those trades. What's that like as a goaltender, though, just knowing like how dangerous uh, his shot is, right? Like I'm not comparing him to Ovechkin's career, but like Ovechkin, right? Like you got to yep. be aware. Like what's that like when you have that? Because I mean, how many guys in the NHL are more dangerous in terms of just their ability to score like that in the league? I mean, not many, right? I mean, a couple? No, no, there's only there's only four or five guys in the world that beat goalies on a regular basis in the National Hockey League with a shot. It's it's Ovi, it's David, it's Matthews, probably a dry side up, but he gets a lot of love from McDavid with a lot of the plays. So, uh, it, no, I, it's confidence, of course. They think they every shot they take is going to go in. They don't think about where it's going. They don't think about how it's going to go in, and they they have an amazing ability to hit the puck from wherever the pass comes from or however hard the pass is. That's the biggest skill that Kim and Ovi have in common is you could put a pass anywhere on the left side, anywhere within 20 feet of his radius, and he finds a way to get his feet moved or get his body turned or be able to hit it properly. Last night, if he gets 40 feet to adjust himself, forget it. No chance. He, yeah. he really like you know, that he could have a laser pass from four feet away and he finds a way to turn his body and get it. And 
And that's what takes goalies by surprise because it still has a bunch of pace on it. Um, and that was always the thing with Ovi. He, he just always hit it as hard as he could. You never knew where it was going to go because of where he was hitting the puck from all different areas. It was so, such a hard read. Yeah, he's uh, he's awesome to watch, too. He's just, enter- he's just so dangerous. Every time he's out there, you think something good is going to happen. So I wanted to ask you about Matthew Potra because he did win that puck battle on the Heinen goal against the Sabres on Tuesday, got an assist on that. He's got eight points in 15 games. They've outscored teams on 5-on-5, five 8-4 five, with him on the ice. Now, the face-off circle has been a little bit of a problem, uh, more than a little bit. 49 wins, I think 71 losses. He's hovering around a little bit below 41%. So I heard Jim Montgomery talking about that. Basically, he alluded to Sidney Crosby had issues early in his career in the face-off circle. But all in all, is that something that you see with a lot of young players? Like, is there any reason to be concerned about that? And what have you noticed from Patra so far this season? Because obviously, going back to how I started here, they needed some of these young guys to contribute, and he's out there playing every night. And it looks like he's going to be a mainstay for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. He's an NHL hockey player and he's only he's just getting better and better every day. All the experience he's getting, the thoughts, the the plans, the pattern recognition out on the ice. It's all it's all building. And uh, despite not getting points in three games, he's still contributing. So that's the that's the big thing for young guys. If you're not getting points and you're still contributing, that's how you can stay in this league. It's when these guys go on their nine day tryout and nine game tryout and they score every game and then the 10th game, they don't get a point 11th game. They don't get a point. And now they're starting to be a detriment. That's that's issues. Matt Potra isn't that his line's still been good. You just talked about the eight to four out scoring. He, he's not a liability in any way out on the ice. So if he isn't scoring, not getting points, it's, it's all positive still. Faceoffs are going to be an issue for probably all season. Um, it, it's hard for young guys. It takes a long time to build that craft, to get the strength, to figure out the linesman, to figure out the tendencies, to figure out where and when they want to win, where and when they want to tie guys up. It's all experience with faceoffs and and strength. And those are two things that he doesn't have a lot of right now that he's only going to get better. And don't like the other thing too is right. He's taking a lot of offensive zone faceoffs because that's where they want to put him on the ice. He's not a defensive zone guy. So mm. offensively, he's going up against the best defensive faceoff, the Thomas Nosics of the world, the Charlie Coyles of the world. So he's getting the best in those situations because the defensive guy is always better. Um, so so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a big learning process, a big learning curve for young guys in the faceoff dot. It's not a big deal. I love him, though. It's, it's great like because we've been talking about these young prospects forever, for the bees. So it's great to see some of the guys, these guys play well, like Mason Lori, the other, when he had that goal against Dallas and just seeing him skate, I'm like, man, this, this looks kind of different. Does he remind you of anybody? And how about the, the, the guys from Baton Rouge? Like, what the hell is this? First player ever from Louisiana. Where did he even play hockey growing up? Like, I didn't even know they had hockey in Louisiana. Uh, they, they don't. The old man played for East coast down there. So he was down there. He was coaching or his dad was some kind ah. of a hockey guy. So he was skating around on the ice, I guess with the bit with the pros after school or whatever. Um, and, and John Beecher too. Um, it, yeah. like just thinking about the centerman, right? That just having those two guys come in and play this way and expect them to get better. Now you're all set. You have Zaka Coyle, Patra, and Beecher for four years under three years under contract, let alone, you know, if you want to keep re signing them. So it, it, you can't, 
I can't overstate how important it is to have those guys step in and play the way they are and become NHLers in front of our eyes for the organization's sake. Because now you don't have to worry about the center position all of a sudden, where three months ago we, we thought it would, they would never get a centerman. So lots of, lots of ability to, to make the lineup better. Mason Lowry is, is a new age unicorn defenseman who's six, six, who can skate, who can shoot, who plays offense. Like he's five foot six and covers so much ground and so much space. His stick is so long. Um, he's, he's a great player. He's he's going to benefit from experience more than even the other two guys. I think at this point, as just being a defenseman, understanding where he can take a chance, understanding where he can't give the puck up. We've seen that a little bit where he gets he puts himself in a place on the ice where now he's in trouble. Where if he had made a play a split second earlier, he could have went the other way and not gotten in trouble. And again, that's that's just pattern recognition. So he's an awesome talent. He's showing real good mental skills, real good hockey sense coming up and playing in the national league. And uh, it's, that's again, another exciting top four defenseman that you have for 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. He's fun. He's fun to watch. He really fun to watch entertaining. And like I mentioned, I mean, it's huge that this organization is getting some of these young guys in because based on the salary cap situation and I, and giving up draft picks, and I totally agree with everything they did. Like you, when you have Bergeron and you have Krejci, you make all these trades, you go all in to try to win the cup, but at the back end, it, it could have been bad if these guys didn't develop for you. So I think it's huge going forward. And I just love Coyle. I mean, Coyle can do everything, right? Hey, you want to be on the shutdown line? Sure, you got to move up to the second line. He, I feel like he's always been a good playoff contributor for them. So I love Coyle. But the, really, the only disappointment I would say so far this year has been DeBrusque, right? He, of course, he's coming off his best year. He, mi- he did miss a chunk of time. He scored two goals and broke his leg in the same game last year at Fenway, right? But just the one goal and four assists, what, so what, five points in 14 games. And last year, I mean, he had a career high in terms of points, in terms of goals. I know that he, of course, didn't get the extension in the offseason, had the issue on the West Coast where he was late to a team meeting, got benched for a game. So what are you seeing from DeBrusque? Are you surprised at the lack of output on the stat sheet that we're seeing? I mean... Do you think he looks like the same guy or there is he just getting unlucky or is there something going on there? No. Well, I think number first off, he's not no power play time. So he's not on the first power play unit, which he was a fair bit last season, whether it was Felino in front or DeBrusque was going in there. Coyle was going in there, but he was getting some. Now there's none. Now it's Van Riemsdyk. So the, the Van Riemsdyk's got 11 points and DeBrusque has less points. So you go yeah. right there with the power play. Um, I think he's moved up and down through the lineup a little bit. Uh, he's driving the line with Matt Patra a little bit more from the wing, meaning he's got to go get the puck. He's got to be above the puck. He kind of has to help out and do the dirty work a little bit more than when it was Patrice or Brad doing it the last couple of years. And those guys getting a little bit more uh, attention taken to them. And DeBrusque is left alone. Now the detention's going to DeBrusque and they're leaving Patra alone. So those are probably the contributing factors to him not scoring as much. He's he's hit a couple posts, so he's had a little unluckiness too. I've liked his game though because now he doesn't need to he doesn't need to score kind of like Potter. He doesn't need to score every night to be effective. He's killing a ton of penalties. He plays a really solid two hundred foot game. The team's twelve one and two without him scoring. That's a positive as well. Of course, individually he wants to get a lot of points to get a bigger contract. 
And that always weighs on guys too a little bit. And as this goes along, I'm sure it's weighing more on him because he likes to score goals. And I think his, his identity for himself is scoring goals and getting points. So you start worrying about it. But at the end of the day, if you're a Bruins fan and, and you're the Bruins organization, you're not worried about it because of where the team's at and because of what he is bringing on a nightly basis. It hasn't been, hasn't been like Jake DeBrus not trying that we've seen yeah. before. There's, there's none of that in his game. He did have, I forget what game it was now. They blend together, but he had the sick goal and the shootout where yeah. Co- yeah, Coyle was the did least, like, right? yeah, what does Co- what does Jack say for Coyle? Like this, the serpentine root or something yeah. like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> and then DeBrus comes flying in and puts one like in. Top, top shelf. So, and, and as long as he's not like an issue, then it's not a problem because like you said, they're winning. So it was just interesting to look back at last year, but it's a great point too. Like if he's not getting a lot of, opportunity on the power play that's where you're going to generate a good amount of your points so unfortunately it's not for him yeah. he's not there but it is good for the Bruins because you're still having this level of success but you mentioned Van Riemsdyk taking over there on the power play 11 points in 15 games Bertuzzi six points in 15 games the Bees have outscored team seven to two with Van Riemsdyk on the ice on five on five Bertuzzi has one even strength goal on the season one and he's playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? And he wanted a long-term deal. He didn't get it. So he gets a one-year, it's like $5.5 million cap hit. Van Riemsdyk has a $1 million cap hit. So $4.5 million less on the cap. And this is one of the moves that, I got to be honest, Razor, in the offseason, I'm like, I thought Bertuzzi was the perfect Bruin. He fit in. I loved him for the organization. And I don't know, I mean, you would know more about me, what's going on with Toronto with him but man this is an like in van reemsteig was what coming off a 34 year old season now the one thing i did look at like somehow is the five on five numbers were good with him in philly last year and philadelphia sucks so if you're good on that team you must be doing something right but what if you because i think this is an excellent move by the organization i'll be the first one to admit it i'm like this is this is not going to be the same as last year but he's been outstanding yeah, Don did it again. He, Don does his homework and he gets these guys and, uh, he, you know, he deserves. We could go on and on about that, how much more credit he needs to get for this team and how he's built this organization and how respected he is by all other GMs in the league. Uh, Bertuzzi, I think he still is a perfect Bruin. I think he still fits perfect with this group. I don't think he fits in Toronto's. Uh, I don't think he's fast enough. I don't think he plays fast mm. enough for the Leafs. I think that's a bit of an issue up there. I, just the, the style of play. Yeah, he's hard-nosed. And I think the, the Leafs thought they were getting that, but they, I, I just don't know if it's the right fit, but that's, that's, this isn't a, a Leaf show. Bertuzzi still would be good here, I think. Uh, Van Riemsdyk, something we haven't seen here in a while. And I think where I thought about it in the summer, I wasn't sure how it was going to translate, but I, the Bruins haven't had a net front person. They haven't. They've tried to use Felino. They've tried to use Coyle. They've tried to use DeBrusque. Uh, Bertuzzi was, a net front guy, but didn't be in, he it wasn't the traditional net front guy in the playoffs last year where he got all the points. It was more a movement and his ability to kind of find little pockets out there. Van Reems likes the traditional stand in front of the net, tip pucks, rebounds, finding plays, making passes off of those rebounds and tip plays. And I think we see how much value he adds a player like that adds, especially with this group with a guy like pasta and Marshawn, and even McAvoy, for that matter, being able to get pucks to the net. Uh, and we just haven't had one of these guys here since since I've been doing games or watching games. The you know the the days of Nathan Horton and and Luch in his prime are 
are gone and they never really replaced it. And Van Reems likes doing that. And I think we're seeing again, kind of that old school, like overlooked how important stuff like that is still in hockey. Yeah. And just like, if you think about it, he's a moose coils and moose. And then Frederick's like, just plays with reckless abandon. Oh, it's a so, perfect I mean, line, right? It's yeah. a perfect line. <laughs> it's an absolute perfect line and there's no match for it. Anybody else's defensive third lines. There, there, there isn't in the Eastern conference. Yeah, you just get like when you're going up against those guys, like if you're a top line, like a Crosby line or something, you just get to be like, fuck, this is this is going to suck tonight. I, I, I do not yeah, want I'm never going to touch the puck. I'm just going to be cross checking guys in the back all night. Yeah, I do not want to play against these guys. OK, so McAvoy's been awesome. He started the yeah. pasta goal on Tuesday night, uh, then Zaka with the sick pass to pasta. But with the exception of the expense, uh, the suspension, really, I mean, that's the only time he missed. Like he's been awesome when he's been on the ice. Two-point night in the Buffalo game. He's been a point-per-game guy. 11 points in 11 games. The Bees have 12 goals on 5-on-5 five five with McAvoy on the ice. Best on the team, and he missed four games. I mean, that's how good he's been for this team. And it, he's now 26, so it seems like he's entering his prime age in the NHL. It does seem like now he's even taking another leap, where he was elite last season when he came back from the injury, but it feels like this year he's on a totally different level than even when where he was a season ago. He is, and he's he's so physical too. It's really for for what the league is now. He's he he can change momentum physically, defensively, offensively. Now he's got a bunch of different ways to impact the game. He does it every single shift. He's out there, and he's again, again another thing that we kind of take for granted that he's a top five, top six, top seven defenseman on the planet. And he's yours for the next eight, nine years. You build around this. Like the whole tanking idea, right? Like, oh, they're going to stink. They're going to, you know, you have Charlie McAvoy. You have David Pasternak. These guys are two of the top five players in their position on the entire planet. Like, uh, it, 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 I think it's been diminished how good he is. And we're seeing it. I think the more he gets points, I think people will, will correlate that with his abilities. But, Again, he's a guy, he could go the rest of the year and not get another point and, and be a guy who the league knows is a Norris Trophy kind of player. Yeah, and he's like plus 2,000 right now for the Norris Trophy. Yeah. So it, it may be a good time right now to put some money on there, right? Because if he keeps continuing to play the way, the way that he is, FanDuel's going to shorten those odds a little bit. Yeah, the issue is Quinn Hughes is going to get 400 points out in Vancouver. And, and will the, but I, I, you're not trading Charlie McAvoy for Quinn Hughes any day, any time. So that'll be interesting to see. You know, if Charlie's going to win a Norris, someone's going to, the, the voters are going to have to take into account what he does away from the puck. And, and is that, can you do that anymore in the National League? I'm not sure. But if anyone's going to deserve it with not getting 90 points as a defenseman, it's going to be him. Yeah, the other guy, Lindholm, so he led the league last year in plus minus, like, what was it, plus 49, right? Yeah. And he had his career high in points. This year, just the three points, he did have his first goal of the season, which was on Tuesday night against the Sabres, that bomb on the power play. So is it a stylistic thing this year where he's not getting the same amount of numbers in terms of the raw stats, the points, et cetera? Is it the fact that, you know, you, you are playing, a, I don't want to say differently than last year, but you got to be more defensive minded than you were a season ago with the amount of firepower that you lost. But any concern with Lindholm or do you think this, this season is sort of more who he is and last year may have been in terms of 
what was it, 53 points or whatever it is, maybe that was kind of an outlier? Like, do you think he's still been really good for this team or what? Yeah, yeah, he's been really, really good. Uh, you know, again, when McAvoy goes out those four games, they go three and one. He's the leader when that happens. Last season, again, goes back to power play time. He was PP1 defenseman for the first month and a half, two months when McAvoy was out. He banked some points there that he probably usually doesn't have. Um, so I think he's a 35, 40-point person. That's that's what he is. Um, he's had to play more defense. He's had Mason Lowry with him. Uh, he's had Brandon Carlos, so they're really getting the 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 best players type shifts. He does a lot of penalty killing still too, so I, I think his game is just more built for uh, the thirty five forty points, but still the twenty three minutes a night in different scenarios. So uh, he's he's nails, and and when you have either McAvoy or Lindholm on the ice for fifty three minutes of the game, it's 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 why you're twelve one and two. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I I just feel like last year it was just like crazy seeing like it was crazy. Like he was like every night he was plus two, right? And every yeah. night, and I I think he was pushing his game a little bit more last year. I think the Bruins had the puck a lot more in the offensive zone, which suits him swinging and coming through. They've Montgomery's talked a lot about that. Like they just they've been a lot more one and done this season, despite scoring three goals every night that they play. Uh, they, they, they get, they're not as a little more stagnant in the offensive zone. And that, that's kind of where Hampus made his hay last season on, on those in zone plays and those secondary assists. And, uh, Marshawn. So I feel like this year he's looked better, right. In terms of healthier than he was to start last season. I know last year he mentioned when he came back from the injury, it took him a little bit to sort of get going in terms of the goal scoring. But have you noticed anything different with him as like the captain? Obviously, he's got to take on a little bit of a different leadership role, right? He's not the same guy as Bergeron. But what have you noticed with him this year being the captain of the team? Yeah, he, he looks great. He got robbed twice last night in Buffalo. He's been a little snake bitten on some of the chances he's gotten. He still has, what, 13, 14 points at and. Yeah, uh, like again, point per game guy, but you, I can tell, I think we all can tell that he is taking this leadership role very seriously. I think he's put a little more pressure on himself to worry about things like that more so than his points and more so than what he's doing on the ice second to second and scoring goals, etc. So I think he's taken a bit of a, uh, a scoring role step back. Um, and we haven't heard him talk about any of that. We've just heard him talk about culture and continuing the culture and focusing on the Patras, the low rise, the beachers, right? The Laucos. These he's actually got more to 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 take care of if you want to think about it than Bergeron did, because there's more young guys and he's got to pass on more wisdom. He's got to make sure everyone's in the right spot on a day-to-day basis. And I, I know he takes that to heart in a big way. So I've loved it. I've loved his ability to, you know, play with an edge still and, and be a captain and say the right things. And I, I think just how much he cares about this team, the organization, the captaincy has to give Bruins fans uh, a good feeling that they have the right guy and a guy who's not going to let things slip with this group. It's kind of wild to think about it now that you mentioned like the young guys on the team. He's like got a decade and a half on some of these guys, right? What is he? Thirty-five. Potra's nineteen. So yeah. he's like he's sixteen no, he years older than the guy. It's like that, and, <laughs> which and, is insane to even that, think that about does, being like that much older. Like he's got to worry about him. Like who's doing your laundry? 
Yeah. It's, who's doing your laundry, kid? Who's who's who are, are you eating? Like, do you need to come over? Like all of those things that uh, again, that Patrice would have done that Z did uh, that that now falls to him. And and when you haven't done it before and you haven't because they not, haven't had young guys, it's a whole nother thing. All right, Razor, before I let you go, FanDuel has the bees tied for the fourth shortest odds to win the cup at plus 1100. Colorado's the favorite at plus 850. Carolina's at plus 950. Vegas at plus 950 as well. So how do you think this team sort of stacks up in the East? Because before the season, my expectation was, hey, they'll make it into the playoffs. It'll be difficult for them to win around. And I know playoffs, like throw the records out. We saw it last year. Crazy things can happen. But how do you kind of handicap the East right now? How do they stack up? Well, if they end up with the first seed again, and, and that's a kind of a big if still. There's a lot of time to go. Rangers are really good. Carolina should get going at some point. Um, but even if they're the second one or two seed, you get one of the wild cards. Those wild card teams aren't going to be – I don't see a Florida being in the wild card this year in the East. I think the, the best teams are going to get a little higher up. The wild card's going to be a battle to the end. Everyone's 500 right now. It's going to stay that way for a while. So I don't think you get – if you get one of those top two spots, you have home ice for a couple of rounds, it's really beneficial. And you could see the one those teams going through quite easily. Of course, you know there's no crystal ball in. But I just don't see a President's Cup trophy team like Florida having injuries all year, getting in on the last day, and then catching fire after being down 3-1. That's just like a Cinderella story that, that doesn't really play out. So – I you gotta really like the Bruins odds the way they're playing. You assume you know Don's gonna make moves at some point if he needs to. Um, but just the fact that they're already comfortably in the playoffs is such a bonus because this year's gonna be a grind for teams. And and if you're playing this well this early on, it, it's a huge bank for for the points that they're getting. So uh plus eleven, that value sounds about right. Colorado's scary, but they lost in the first round last year too. So it, it, you know. It, you, you you have to like the Bruins because of the way they're playing. It's re- completely repeatable. It's not it's not lucky through 15 games. It's repeatable, and they're going to do it for another 70 games. Yeah, a Florida Bees rematch at some point during the postseason would just be incredibly yeah. entertaining TV. And you know what? Like the Kachuk, the the Mouthguard thing, by the end of that series, like that pissed me off, whereas Mouthguard's like never actually like in. Like, I don't know the yeah, point. Yeah, Bruins it's like a deserve thing. like... It's like they deserve to get those guys in the second round. It really does be nice. That'd be awesome. All right, that is Andrew Raycroft from Nesson. Of course, you see him as a studio studio analyst, also host of the Morning Brew. Razor, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. And hey, enjoy a couple of days off here, man. They, they don't get going again until Saturday. I know. It feels like the season's been kind of stop and go. It hasn't really got going. But I think as of Saturday, my, my evenings aren't going to be quite as enjoyable as they have been the last couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Razor. I appreciate it, man. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Razor. Always enjoy chatting bees with Razor. Some good stuff there, man. It's a really fun team. And we are spoiled right now with what we get with the Bruins and, of course, the Celtics. And now we get to the Patriots, okay? The team that is not good in town. So Andrew Callahan, my buddy, of course, in the Herald, wrote today, referring to Mac, after he was benched for a second time this season during a Week 5 loss to New Orleans, Several members of the organization lost faith in Mac Jones. But now, after getting benched for a third time last Sunday in Germany, Jones's support is vanishing. One team source estimated that at least 80% of the Patriots locker room is out on Jones. I'm not in the locker room, but I'd be in that 
Another said the vast majority of players are done with him. Both said the lack of belief spread to both sides of the ball with a shared sense that Jones' worst mistakes negate the best efforts of his teammates. And, of course, he does have the most turnover-worthy plays in the NFL, the PFF stat. Callahan also mentioned that when Zeke was asked if they could benefit from a quarterback change, Zeke said after the game the other day, I don't know. Juju said, we'll have to figure that out after the bye. Not that Juju should be speaking after the way that he's played the season, but those are the guys speaking publicly. When those guys are speaking publicly, when you have Zeke saying, I don't know, and you have Juju saying, we'll have to figure that out after the bye, that tells you that the players are out on Mac Jones, and it makes perfect sense that Callahan would hear from his sources within the organization that 80% of the locker room is out on Mac when you have guys publicly saying, Eh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we could benefit from moving on from the quarterback. And the trouble thing, the troubling thing I should say here is the Patriots have lost two games to the Commanders, who just traded away two pieces off their defensive line, and the Colts, who their starter was Gardner Minshew. Now, from our perspective here on the pod, we are happy that they lost because it means they're getting in better draft position. But you are trying to win these games against really bad, well, the Commanders are kind of talented, but teams that are not that good, and in the case of Indy, they have a backup quarterback. You couldn't win those games, right? And here's the thing. It's been on the quarterback and the coordinator. The past two weeks, the Patriots are sixth in the NFL in rush EPA. They're third in success rate. So they're actually running the ball well right now. Ramondre, the past two weeks, 29 carries, 175 yards. That's six yards per carry. Six. Only two running backs in the NFL are north of six yards per carry this season. He's looked like the old Ramondre, yet in the Washington game, going to the coordinator part of this, Bill O'Brien, he only got nine carries. Uh, why? It was a one-score game, basically the entirety of the game. Why? Why do you only have nine carries? Anyway, so your running game has been good the past two weeks on a per-play basis, as we mentioned, the third most efficient in success rate. The past two weeks, though, Mac Jones. EPA plus completion percentage over expectation, 24th of 26 qualifiers. Who's behind him? Glad you asked. Two rookies, Aiden O'Connell and Bryce Young, okay? Guys like Tommy DeVito, Zach Wilson, who Jets fans hate right now and have always kind of hated, and Tyson Bajan. All those guys are ahead of Mac Jones in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation over the past two weeks, okay? Mac's last two games, one touchdown, two interceptions. And the second and 12 with 424 left, he throws that awful interception and even if you kick a field goal there, the way your defense is playing, it's 10-9. You're going to get the ball back with an opportunity to win the game. Gardner Minshew was doing nothing against the Patriots, right? And so this makes perfect sense. Callahan's reporting it's 80%. I just, I can't watch Mac Jones play quarterback anymore. And the fact that the locker room isn't behind him, they want something different. My only kind of concern here is now Mac got the first team reps at practice on Wednesday. I don't know how much that means because they're just back out on the practice field. They're going to get some time off here. But I am kind of scared they're going to go back to Mac because, remember, they cut Bailey Zappi in the offseason. Like, and I know that they had an idea they would bring him back, but they did cut him. And then the other guy is Will Greer, who's been cut by the Panthers and the Cowboys. So these are the things that sort of concern me going forward here. Is, is Mac Jones really going to play? And then I guess you, you want to play devil's advocate. Well, Mac's like the perfect guy to play for you if you're trying to lose. So maybe you do kind of want Mac out there, but I I just can't watch it anymore. And I'm not surprised now that, look, we've made excuses, not me personally, but there's been a lot of excuses for Mac over the past few years now that he's lost the players. When you lose the players, 
you're done. And Mac is clearly done right now. I hope too down the stretch of the season that Bill's going to play guys like Kayshawn Booty and not play guys like Devontae Parker. Like, And look, Douglas is already getting a ton of reps, but there's no reason to play these guys that are not part of the next great Patriots team, whatever that may be. And a guy like Mapu has not got a ton of playing time, not like he's flashed that much when he's on the field, but Adrian Phillips, like he's an older player, might as well get Mapu in there, see what he is, right? So I just like, I'm in some sense relieved. We don't have to watch the Patriots this weekend, but hearing or reading that story from Callahan, I think it just sort of gives you an indication of, yeah, it's not just us in the fan base. It's not just people in the media. It's everybody right now is out on Mac Jones. And most importantly, his teammates are out on him. Okay, I did want to transition to this real quickly and we'll bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. We'll give you our picks in just a little bit. But Jamie, this is an itch I had to scratch tonight. We have another Kendrick Perkins list. We talked about what we talked about one the other day. Perk ranked his top five guards in the Eastern Conference. Number one is Maxi, which okay, it's Maxi's had a great season so far. Although the Celtics wrapped him up tonight, a little too early to have him number one in the conference, right? But anyways, that's not my problem with this. Number two is Halliburton. Fine, Halliburton's an outstanding. I love Halliburton. That guy's awesome. You guys, you basically make an Indiana the best offense in the league right now. Holiday's third. Dejounte Murray is fourth. And Jimmy Butler is fifth. Okay, so a couple of things here. First of all, if you go on cleaning the glass, that basically tells you what position guys play and the percentage of time they spend at each position. Jimmy Butler this year has played zero minutes at guard. He's played 22 minutes at small forward and 78% of his minutes at forward. Now, I give Austin Rivers credit, okay? Great podcast on the ringer, too, off guard. Austin Rivers called him out. He's like, well, Jimmy Butler's not a guard. And Perk had no no coming. The guy is legitimately not a guard, okay? And Perk has him as a top five guard in the Eastern Conference. Hey, Perk, when you do your top five fours in the Eastern Conference, you want to throw Jimmy Butler on that? Fine. But he's not a guard. He doesn't play guard. He plays forward. The other thing I would mention about this, Donovan Mitchell is not on his top five guards in the East. He's averaging 28.7 points per game. He's been all NBA multiple times. If you asked anybody, right, anybody that watches the NBA, hey, who's better, DeJounte Murray or Donovan Mitchell? They'd be like, hey, dude, are you drunk? Like, I don't even think that DeJounte Murray's family would tell you that they think DeJounte Murray is better than Donovan Mitchell. Oh, by the way, and I know he's been sort of inefficient to start the season, DeJounte Murray's not the best guard on his own team. Remember the guy we saw in the playoffs last year? Trey Young? That guy is better than DeJounte Murray. Trey Young is basically, if you have Trey Young on your team, yeah, sure, you're going to have some issues, like defensively and all that, right? But Trey Young is basically, every year, this guy's producing a top 10 offense in the NBA. So I don't know, first of all, I don't even know what the biggest error is here. Okay, and just think about this, okay? So I looked this up before the game started tonight. So... And by the way, uh, Trey Young is basically, he's averaging like 20 and 10. But anyway, and this is not, not like an anti-DeJounte Murray thing. I just like wonder, does he actually watch games? Like, how does he come up with these conclusions? But so if you just look at it tonight, right? So entering these games tonight on FanDuel, you can, as I've done multiple times, the 25-point alt lines we hit with Tatum tonight, we did not hit with Embiid. Thank you very much, Joel. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so 25 points. Murray entering the game tonight, plus 300. Okay, plus 300 to get 25 points. Trey Young, minus 125. 
Mitchell minus 380 to get 25 points. Okay, so that sort of tells you where these guys are at on the hierarchy. But honestly, like, I can't comprehend this list. I Like, I, I don't know why this irritates me so much. And I don't know why I get so worked up about this, but I, I can't believe how bad this list is. And I can't <laughs> believe nobody said, hey, uh, Perk, uh, th- I'm trying to, like, rank what the biggest thing, like, the, the worst part of this list is. I think one, I think number one has to be you put a forward in the guard list. So I think that has to be number one. And I think number two has to be the Donovan Mitchell omission. Yeah. And number three has to be the fact that you have DeJounte Murray <laughs> over a guard that's better than him on his own team. Even if you don't like Trey Young's style, and I know a lot of people don't like Trey Young, like, and I'm not, you may you may have an argument not to put Trey Young in the top five, but I don't know how you could put Murray over him. Like, did Perk, I think what happened, this is like, I'm not even kidding about this because I actually had. DeJounte Murray last night in a parlay or Tuesday night in a parlay that I hit. I honestly think what happened is if you go back to Tuesday night, the Hawks played the Pistons and the Pistons are a shitty team. The Pistons mm-hmm. suck. They're in a they're like two and ten right now. They're on a big losing streak. In that game, Murray had 32 points, 10 assists, and five rebounds. Do you think, Jamie, there's a chance that Perk <laughs> saw that game? I that's what I think happened. <laughs> he just I think watched he's, the one off. Yeah, I think he saw that game. <laughs> and he said, yeah. Yeah, DeJounte can, Murray. And I how guess, did he leave out Mitchell? He's trying to, like, defend it. He just forgot. Like, I think he just forgot. Austin Rivers is like, uh, Donovan Mitchell? How is he not on here? How would anybody think that? Donovan Mitchell's not a top five guard of the East. Like, come on, man. I could see Perk spending one day coming up with this list. Just kind of what flows into his head right off the bat, which seems to be his style. I also think you can't discount that he's just... He's a troll. He's trolling everyone, and yeah. he, it's working right on you a little bit. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess if, if that's his goal, it's it's working. You never on know. Him. He might just but be I a just, performance artist. I can't let these things go. No, no, it's anymore. worth mentioning. Also, maybe we're biased, but what about our boy Derek White? He's got to be yeah. rising up the ranks. He looked fantastic tonight. He's better than Dejounte Murray. We that's found that out sure. last year. He's he's a better player than Dejounte Murray. Like I mean, come on. That, that, I think that's probably my favorite part of that list. More than I mean, at least Jimmy Butler's a good player. He might not be a guard, but the Murray number four is uh, that's precious. I can't wait till he does his best forwards in the West next week, <laughs> and he is Jokic number one. He's gotta make up for Jokic. They had beef last year. Yeah, he said before the game tonight too. I had the ESPN pregame show, yeah. and Perk Perk said that. Drew Holiday's got to step up his game on offense and defense with Jalen and Porzingis out. I'm like, wait, hold on. Have you seen him play one game this year? Have you seen his defense? Like, I understand, like, it's a good point to say, yeah, he's got to increase his scoring. I mean, it's a very Mm -hmm. obvious point, but he's got to increase his scoring. But to say he's got to step up his game both on offense and defense, what are you talking about? I mean, (laughs) watch this guy for five minutes. He doesn't have to step up his defense at all. All right, Jamie, so let's get to our picks here. Sorry, I just had to get that off. That's fair. I'm just like, I see this list today. I see this list, I'm like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) How did nobody tell him? Like, this is a horrible list. Horrible list. Okay. So, our picks for the week. We don't have to pick the Patriots. So, here's my first one. I missed the last leg of this last week, my FanDuel parlay. So, this is for plus 392. Two money lines, two spreads. Washington to beat the Giants at home. Although, from a selfish perspective, I'd love the Giants to win this game. But I don't think it's going to happen. The Niners to beat the Bucks at home. Dallas to cover the 10.5 at Carolina. Big number, but it's Carolina. They stink. Detroit to cover the 8.5 at home 
against the Bears. And I have more on Detroit in a little bit. But those are my four picks for plus 392. I like it. And I know I like it every week, but I like it. I like it at this point. Wednesday, they always look good, the bets, don't they? Yeah, no doubt. That That's my parlay for the week. What do you okay. got? Uh, what I got this week, I rode the Vikings last week. I kept losing when I bet against the Saints, but this time I got them. Josh Dobbs had an anytime touchdown. I hit that. That felt great. But um, they're playing in Denver, and somehow they're plus two and a half points against the Denver Broncos. Like, the Broncos... I've won some games. The Vikings low-key have won five games in a row, so I don't know why the Broncos are getting so much love. Like, we, we were talking about that Bills-Broncos game on Monday Night Football. It was a complete train wreck. They barely won after the Bills turned it over four times and then got a pass interference on the last second last play of the game, 12 men on the field on a missed field goal to lose by two points. And they're acting like Denver's back. So I don't quite understand that spread. So I like the Vikings there a lot. Okay, so the Vikings two-and-a-half-point dogs... At the Broncos. The Broncos. Now, yeah. It, now, they got the, the Bills got that penalty, too. That's what I mean. At the end of the game. Remember, De- the Denver kicker missed. I forget the t- kicker's name. 12 men on the it. field. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The only thing I'll say is yeah. it is Denver is a tough place to play. Sure. Mile high. And I will give them. And I know, like you said, the, all that stuff about the turnovers and all that. Denver has been playing better. Like, they, they did beat been. the Chiefs, too. They're not losing. They're not giving so, up 70 points anymore. That yeah. That's true. That to me, like, I love the Josh Dobbs story. I think it's awesome. I hope he gets a starting job next year because the guy's been, yeah, he's he's been really good. I think right now he has the second most rushing yards for a quarterback behind Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so he he can do a lot of different things. Um, that would be a stay away for me. Like the whole Denver thing. Like it used to scare me so much. Like even when even before Manning went there, like those used to be tough games. Like they lost the. Yeah, Shanahan was there. I just hate that place. I really do. The two places that I hate that when the Patriots where the Patriots played Miami, yeah, and there totally like well, the the teams like the Ravens. That was the one I hated the most. No, those the stadiums for sure. One thing I want to add a note, Brian, is there's not a zero percent chance that Jefferson comes back for this game, which you know they're going to have to change the lines. That's if that a good happens. point. He, could he was come like back. he was thinking he, about it last week, yeah, right? Like he exactly. was working out. It's a now they're right? now they're in the you know they're in the playoff picture at least for the wild card. So I think he'll be motivated. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, everybody thought like when they had those injuries, hey, is Kirk Cousins going to go to the Jets? Unfortunately, Kirk Cousins tears his ACL. But yeah. this, I think Kevin O'Connell is an awesome coach, great play caller. And Brian Flores is just, he's yeah, on one I've right now, man. I've always been a man. fan. Like he's, he's like, have to, most of the time he's like just bringing the house. And then sometimes yeah. he, he'll like only rush like three. It's like, dude, he's just doing like all this crazy shit. Like it's kind of awesome to see. So, all right. So you're on the Vikings this week. All right, so I have this one. Okay. Weekly special. So I was on with the Wise Ooh. Guys last week for FanDuel TV, and they wanted me to do a weekly special. I like these weekly specials. Now, last week I went for the same team. It didn't hit, but I'm going back to the well. So you can do, and this is awesome on FanDuel, you can do highest scoring team, you can do lowest scoring team, you mm. can do highest scoring game, and you can do lowest scoring game. All Sunday. Like you can't do the Thursday night or the Monday night game. So this is what I have this week. I have the Lions at plus 700 for the highest scoring team of the week. Okay. I mentioned earlier, they're playing the Bears and they're in the dome and they're healthy. Like they got the guys back last week, right? So they're fully healthy. They have all their weapons. They're playing at home. Jared Goff's playing outstanding football right now. The Dolphins have the shortest odds at plus 550. They're playing the Raiders. And the Raiders, although their defense is not great, they do have Max Crosby. And the other thing is, 
Uh, Josh Jacobs, the past two weeks, since Antonio Pierce has taken over for McDaniels, another guy that Brady made him a shit ton of money, and he probably owes the Brady family a lot of money. But Josh <laughs> Jacobs, the past two weeks, 27 carries oh. and 26 carries. Yeah. So I know this sounds like super cliche, but they do have the ability to try to keep that Miami de- uh, offense rather off the field. Real? So, like, look, and Miami's a nice play at plus 550. Now, San Francisco, third shortest odds at plus 700. Or plus 900, rather. The Lions are plus 700. Niners have the Bucks, as I mentioned. I just like that Lions one. When they're at home, man, yeah. they can really get that offense going. So I like that as, that's kind of, you know, a long shot bet. Plus 700 for the highest scoring team of the week. And the Dol- and I believe last week, the Cowboys were first. I believe the Lions ended up finishing yeah, second. The Cowboys game. played the Giants. Yeah, so I kind of like this one, man. I like that. It's good value. Plus 700 for the Lions offense sounds good. And I, especially they're playing the Bears at home. That sounds like, uh, you know, feasible at the very least. Dumb it. All right. I like it. You got anything else? I got one other bet. I'm just being boring this week. I got straight up bets. But um, I like the Texans at home minus four and a half over the Cardinals. I, again, this line seems at least a few points too low, basically. I think everyone saw Kyler Murray come back and dance around on that in the fourth quarter. And like, oh my God, the Cardinals are now a decent team, which they're not. I think they're kind of getting carried away with Kyler Murray coming back and looking half decent, which he did. But they still have a bottom five scoring defense and CJ Stroud is playing out of his mind. So to me, it's like, I think they can cover at least a touchdown. Uh, and they've been scoring a lot. And every time they play a bad team, they've easily covered the Texans recently. And when they play a good team, they, they're winning, but they're only winning by a few points. But I just feel like <laughs> it's like Vegas forgot they're playing a two and eight team. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I do feel like there's been sort of like the fact that Murray's back. It's great for yeah. us as Patriots fans because if he does pull off an upset, like that's great for draft position. And it was great they won last week to get their second one of the season. But like the Murray story sort of took not that it took over the NFL because not a, a lot of bit. people are talking about the Cardinals, but the Cardinals conversation now has become about Kyler Murray, and it's like they still have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Like, their roster yeah. stinks. And Houston has quickly rebuilt that thing. And to your point, C.J. Stroud, man, this is why I'm saying, hey, draft Caleb Williams yeah. or Drake May. Get yourself in position for one of these guys because he has completely changed that organization around. I mean, the guy's outstanding. I think, mm-hmm. and we're already starting to hear this, like the conversations of, is he the best rookie quarterback of all time? Not like his career, like, projects to be, but his That's rookie wise. season. Yeah. I mean, the guy's been unbelievable totally. in his rookie year. And clearly, D'Amico Ryans has everybody believe in him. Like there, and by the way, like there was, I remember when the whole coaching process was going on. Like Denver wanted him, but like Denver was, I believe, waiting for Harbaugh. Harbaugh didn't come, and then they pivoted to Sean Payton. Like originally, D'Amico Ryans, who of course played for the Texans, he didn't yeah. want that job originally, and then he didn't really like Denver wasn't really pressing hard to get him, so he took the Houston job, and he's been really good there. I mean, he's yeah. he's been really good. No, I, I, it's interesting because so much gets made about all the young offensive coaches, but uh, he's a great defensive coach. It's nice to see him doing well. Yeah, and he brought over uh, Bobby Slowick from that, that coached with McVay, Shan- like in that Shanahan-McVay scheme. So smart. Mm-hmm. Like he brought over the guy that could run the offense and he could be the leader of the team and run the defense. And it's working out for Houston, man. Yeah. Hopefully the Patriots get that next year. I am crossing my fingers. Who do you think is going to start for the Pats against the Giants? Zappy. Zappy? You? 
Yeah, I think if I had to, though, I, I did like your take. I was thinking the same thing that he, he is the perfect tank guy, Mac, if you just keep him out there. But you can't do that to the rest of the guys, especially the defense. Like, yeah, they would, they would kill you if they just kept trotting out Mac. Bill said that on his pod, too. He's like the perfect tanking quarterback. <laughs> he is. He's just going to screw it up. Like, Here, here's a silver line, though, Brian. He's, he's cut down on his fumbles, Mac, hasn't he? Oh, God. Great. <laughs> this guy, man. Oh, my gosh. He's unbelievable. He just, he stinks, and now he's lost the locker room. So, uh, good riddance, Mac. Nice watching you. Sayonara. 2021 feels like a long time ago. It does feel like a long time ago. All right, Jamie, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. You can email us at offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.